You might want to say amen to our slide there. I did hear about the shenanigans that took place here. In fact, last Sunday I was uh, blessed to, um, to get to go and preach in St. Simon's Island, Georgia. Ever been there? I know it was a rough calling, but someone had to say yes to the Lord. And so I went there and I was having a great time preaching, just sort of, sort of preaching away. And, and then I had something that's never happened to me while I was preaching. All of a sudden, I'm just sort of right in the middle of going at it. And then the following slide shows up. Conclusion. I'm like, is this a hint or what? So I thought I better bring things to a conclusion. And then I also am hearing this voice all the way from Montgomery of my former friend, Andy Johnson, saying, Buddy Bell, shut up. And I hear y'all laughing. So it was a rough Sunday, even in St. Simon's Island. So, so thankful for all the love and laughter in this church and all that we get to do together. We've got a very simple message this Sunday and next Sunday. And here's the way I'd sum it up. Some things change. Some things never change. Uh, did you hear that? Some things change and some things never change. If you wanted to sort of boil down Paul's philosophy of his mission to reach the world... And how he was going to do it, you might sum it up with those words. Some things can change, and some things can never change. Uh, Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul discusses this. Verse 19 through verse 21. Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Did you hear all that Paul's saying here? He said, if I'm around these Jewish people, I may act this way. If I'm around these non-Jewish people, I may act another way. Now, in in the context here, Paul is talking about his freedom, and he's talking about the freedom he has in God, that if he wants to eat meat sacrificed an idol, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. If he wants to keep or not keep the Jewish special days, he's free to do that. And so he's, if he wants to take a salary as a minister or not take a salary, he's got freedom there. But the point he's trying to make in this context is, I'm not going to use my freedom as a stumbling block to other people. If me eating meat sacrificed to idols would cause my brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it. When I'm with those Jewish people where that would be an issue, I won't eat the meat. If I'm with other people where it isn't an issue, I would eat the meat. Now, is Paul saying I'm a chameleon? I just become like whoever I'm around? No, he's not saying that. He doesn't say, if I'm around a drunkard, I become drunk, or if I'm around a thief, I start stealing. He's saying, in these issues that that, that really I have freedom in, I'm just not willing to use my freedom as a stumbling block. Here's the best illustration I can give. I hope you're not offended by it. But let's say you've studied your Bible long enough that you have come to the personal conclusion that it's okay for you to drink wine. And you go, my goodness, Jesus turned water into wine. Why would it be sinful for me to drink wine? You've got that kind of freedom. 
But Paul would say to you, if you're in front of someone, that that might be a stumbling block to them because of their personal beliefs. Or if you're in front of someone who, because of their addiction issues, that would be a stumbling block. Paul would say, despite the fact I believe it would be okay for me to drink that, I'm going to do away with it. Because Paul's goal is to reach as many as possible. It's not for him to do what he feels free to do, what he feels comfortable doing. It's for him to take down any barriers in someone else's life so that they get to hear the message of Christ. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 22 with me. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. Look what he says. To the weak I become weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That would sum it all up. In fact, if you look closely in these verses and surrounding verses, six times here, Paul says, my goal is to win as many as possible. So Paul says, guys, I want to tell you, I'm flexible. I'm flexible. Here's what I'm going to try to do. When I'm with Jewish people, I'm going to try to identify with them so that I can get the gospel through. When I'm with Gentile people, I'm going to seek to identify with them, to connect with them. Because it's not about me, it's about them. You say, if, if we had another attitude, what would it say? Let's say if Paul had an attitude that says, you know what? I've got these freedoms. I can do it whether you like it or not. I'm just going to be me. What, what would that say? What that would really say is I really don't care about lost people. I care more about exercising my freedom and doing what I want to do. Paul says, that's not the way I live. Now, verse 23, he gets to the things that don't change. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessing. Paul, why are you being so flexible? Because I believe there's good news in Jesus Christ that is worth me giving up even some of my freedoms that someone can hear this good news. You see, he believes this this story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of the grace of Jesus, that you couldn't save yourself, you couldn't work your way to heaven, but that Jesus came and secured your salvation by what he did for you. Those are the non-negotiables. I mean, you, you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, someone began to tinker with the gospel, like in the book of Galatians, and listen, those are fighting words. Someone comes and tries to add legalistic requirement that says, it's not enough just to, just to put your faith in Jesus. You've got to do this, 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 and this. Paul's going to get upset about that because it's the gospel that absolutely never changes. And here's what I want you to see this morning. When we catch the mission of God, we change. When we decide that our goal in life is to win as many as possible, it stops being about me, it stops being about you, it starts being about who we're going to reach. Now, anybody that's ever been involved in mission work understands this. Years ago, after World War II, we flooded Japan with our missionaries. We went over there and we built church buildings with steeples, we put pews in, and we tried to do church like in America, and none of the Japanese people would come. And so finally, we looked around and figured out that's not the kind of venue they worship in. You build a building with a flat roof. You take off your shoes when you walk in the the worship center. You don't sit in pews in rows. You sit on the floor in circles. And so we, we, we cared enough for the Japanese people to say, we can give up the way we want to do things because we want to reach you. 
And so the same is true for us as a church, the same is true for us as an individual. First of all, let me say to you this morning, if we really catch the mission of God, the church must be willing to change. Now, many of us grew up in churches where the word change was a bad word. But it's not a bad word. It's a great biblical word. Many of us grew up in churches where you could not change anything without a controversy. Something as simple as the order of service. Raise your hand if you went to church where you had three songs of prayer, a song, the Lord's Supper, a song, the sermon, a song, the closing prayer. Raise your hand. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, you, no. Okay, you can answer that question. Okay. But, but here's where it becomes a problem. Have you ever been to one of those churches and someone changed the order and people got upset? What does that say? That says our tradition has become as important as Scripture. That if we need to change the order of service to be more effective, we'll do that. You know, there's crazy, silly stories among us. There's truly a, a story of a church in Tennessee where for years and years and years, as long as anybody can remember, the communion table was covered with a cloth. And, and somebody one day forgot to put the cloth on. And the church went crazy. In the long run, the church split over whether you put the cloth over the emblems or not. What would they think of a church without a table? But I mean, they, they, they got that upset. Now, why did they put a cloth on in the first place? Yeah, because before air conditioning, you had what? You had flies. And yet that way of doing things became sacrilege. And so, guys, listen to me. Change is not a bad word. Not when we're saying we're going to change in order to touch people who may not be touched if I simply do things the way I like to do things. That's one thing I love about this church. This church has a great history of when things need to change, we'll change it. I've heard the elders in this church say if something is biblical and something's going to be effective in helping us reach people for Christ, nine times out of ten we're going to do it. Because the issue is not us in our comfort. The issue is I want to become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. I'll never forget a dear sister in this church years ago when we'd undergone quite a few changes and I knew she was really uncomfortable with it and I knew she didn't like a lot of the changes and she was up in the building one day and so I cornered her, I said to her, I said, oh, let me call her Sally. I said, Sally, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here at Landmark. I'm surprised you're still here at Landmark because I, I know she said, you're right. She said, buddy, a lot of the things that you guys have done around here, I really don't like. I'm really uncomfortable with it. But then she said this line to me, I'll never forget. I've always dreamed about being a part of a church where souls were being saved and souls are being saved in this church and I cannot leave. And guys, that's the spirit of Paul. That's the spirit we need in our church is it's not about me. It's not about doing church the way we've always done it. It's not about church in 1950. It's not about church in 1996. It's about what would make the church effective in reaching people today. Now, I said our mission statement would come in handy. Here's the mission statement of the Landmark Church. It's just a reflection of the Great Commission. It's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Please note, it's not just to say we want to get more people in this building. That's nice, but that's not the mission statement. The mission statement's not just to have more members. The mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. It's not a goal of just more members, it's a goal of more disciples. 
is that what we want are people who want to follow Jesus. And so what we have to do as a church is we have to do everything we can to be as effective in that as possible. And so this morning, I want to uh, announce a, a change that we're about to make in the month of September. And, and it's, it's a very slight change. And let's just go ahead and show that. This is our, our new worship schedule uh, starting on September the 11th. We're going to go back to schedule. Actually, we did years and years ago where we had an 815 service, a 945 Bible class, and then a 1045 service. Your shepherds have been talking about this for months. They have polled and taken advice from all kinds of leadership groups in this church. This has been a very difficult decision because whatever option we looked at, and there were lots of different options on the table, there were pluses and minuses. Obviously, the, the minus of this plan is when we go to this, 1045 service will become so large that we will no longer be able to have it in the life center. It will have to move to this room. And so we, we know that's in some ways a minus. We think we can overcome that because we have created a special environment there that we think many people are drawn to. So let me talk a little bit. Then why would we make this change? Let me give you the goal. Number one, the goal is to develop community and Bible classes by creating a place for people who attend separate services. You know right now as well as I do that if you go to one service and one Bible class and other people go to another service and another Bible class, you may never see them. And so despite the fact that's the price sometimes you pay as a big church, we don't think we have to pay that price right now. And so what we're going to do is put that Bible class hour back in the middle where there will be a gathering spot for people to meet and be with people. Because we know if people are going to grow in their relationship with Jesus, it's got to be more than just plugging in and out of one of our services. They need to be in a place of in-depth Bible study and a place of community. And so that's the major goal. That was the major impetus on this change. Now, here's some problems that are addressed in this new plan. Number one, we will not have to continue to man two Bible class hours. Any of you that have been involved in that know that's been a real challenge for us. And second here, the awkward entry, exit, parking, and security issues involved in hosting a service in the Life Center. There's just an awkwardness of getting people in and out of that building, getting children where they need to get. And so even our security people have been like, this is a really hard building in the world we live in to keep secure because there's so many entrances and exits. If you're trying to sign people up for things, you got to do it here and you got to do it there. And over there, most people don't even go through the lobby. And so we believe that those are some of the issues we've been dealing with that will be made better in this new plan. Let me give you a couple of other benefits of this. This will free the Life Center for children's ministry on Sunday. One thing we know when we go back to one Bible class is we are very, very pressed for classroom space. It, 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 we, we almost don't have enough. But one way we can overcome that is by being able now to use the Life Center for different children's activities. Also, since we had gone to the service in the Life Center, we have not used the, that building for many of the original purposes, which was to be a gathering place for our community and a place for outreach. And um, we hope this is going to help with that and be able to do more of those things. To me, this is another really important benefit of this plan we're going to is the teachable moments at baptism during second service. Right now, when we have a baptism in the 360 service, we announce it at the end and invite people to come over. And again, a, a good many people do come over. 
But the people we probably want to be there to witness that and have that teachable moment miss it. And we don't really see putting a baptistry in the middle of the gym, all right? And so we, we really are thrilled about regaining that teachable moment. Now we've got some preparation to do this summer. That's why we're not doing this immediately. Uh, we've got a new education model that's being developed to fit this new plan. There, we're gonna do some renovations in here in order to bring many of the 360 elements to this room for the second service. Now, I know some of you playfully call the 360 service the dark service. And when you go over there, I've heard you say it, so don't say you don't, you say, I'm going to the dark side. <laughs> well, th- there are certain benefits. It's, it's a generational thing. And this is a light, bright room, and it's great. But what we're going to be equipped to do by September is we're going to be equipped for that second service, not your service, but to be able to darken this room. We're going to be equipped to be able to do some of the things that will bring many of the elements that people appreciate over there into this assembly. So that's going to take some time. That's already being worked on. And again, it's going to be things that are, 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 are changeable. So both services don't have to look exactly the way. We also are going to spend some time updating our foyer here in the main building to make it more inviting and more helpful. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done that, but we want that to be a, a warm gathering place where it's really easy for us to, to have people get the information they need and to be uh, encountered by our people in a great way. So what I've talked to you about is a really minor change. I, I think as a church, we've got to always be prepared to change. And um, again, that's, that's what I love about this church. You know, someone said, well, how do you think people are going to receive this? I mean, because everybody's given up a little bit. You're giving up a little bit of a really good time period. Folks over there are giving up a, a, an arena that they like. And here's my answer. I think our people will accept it wonderfully because I've watched you for 20 years. And this is one of the most minor changes we've ever made. And our people are just that good. And so what I just encourage you is, 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 is be with us through what is really a minor change. But, but what I want to see is the middle of this, really, let's be honest, really a superficial change. We're just talking about rooms and buildings and times. In the middle of a superficial change, it's my prayer that we will undergo a major change. And, and the major change is that when I catch God's vision, we change, individuals change. You see, when we read 1 Corinthians 9, I think it does apply to mission work, and I think it does apply to churches that says, you know what, I don't want to be a part of a church that says, you know what, this is the way we are. If they like it, they can come. Uh, This may, you know, not fit their generation. This may not fit their style, but you know what, this is the way we are. And I, I had a preacher say to me one time, our church was this way in 1940, it was this way in 1960, and I can go ahead and tell you it'll be this way in 2040. They just, they just, they just, just, you, you were going to be able to walk in at any point. And I thought, what a shame. What a shame. Because what you're saying is, we're doing this for us. If our community changes, we don't change. And so the challenge I have is, guys, we've got to be willing to change, not just as a church in this schedule, but as individuals. Because when Paul writes 1 Corinthians 9, He's talking about himself. He's saying, I, as an individual, I change my approach to people. 
to reach more people for Christ. And so the bigger change for us guys is not this superficial schedule change. The bigger change is how can you and I be more effective in reaching people every day? So I want to introduce you to something that I was introduced to just a few days ago by one of our, our elders actually in our Birmingham church named Ch- Tim Jenry. It's called the Bells Challenge, B-E-L-L-S. I'm still trying to redeem my name from last week, okay? So I thought this would be a really good way. But really, this is written by a man named Michael Frost. And um, you could Google this. And I, I'm not going to be able to have time to give you much detail today. Google five habits of highly missional people. Now, what Frost says in this is that most of us, when it comes to evangelism, we get really scared because we think to become evangelistic uh, would mean that I've got to go out on a street corner and yell at people, or I've got to go to my neighborhood and knock doors and say, if Jesus came back right now, would you go to heaven or hell? And guys, there are people in the Bible, I don't really know that evangelism is a gift, but there are people in the Bible that are evangel- evangelists. That's probably the term we would use for the person with the gift. They, they, they have that boldness. Now, not all of us are called to be evangelists, but all of us are called to be evangelistic. The Great Commission applies to all of us. But if you only have this one picture of this bold street preacher, then you're probably going to stay away from it. And so this is what I loved when I read through what Michael Frost had said about these five habits, just habits. And I want you to write these down this morning. We'll talk about these later in depth, but these are so easy and so good. And if we would begin to practice these habits, we're going to have more than just a superficial schedule change in this church. We're going to have a change of us reaching people. The first word there is blessed. That's the first habit. The word blessed simply means to add strength to another. It's to build up. It's to strengthen. How do you bless people? Well, I would say there are two primary ways we bless people. By words of affirmation. What was it, Mark Twain, who said, I can live a whole month off a good compliment. I like that. And so, you know, when you go about your everyday life, just bless people. Say those positive things. Say those things to people that are going to make their days better. And another way that we bless people is by acts of kindness. Do the unexpected. Serve someone in such a way that they're going to begin to wonder what is different about you. At your workplace, you go the extra mile, you serve someone, you do something. When you're lying at the grocery store, you may bless someone. You, you've heard about the people, you know, you know, who in the drive-thrus purchase the next per- people's meal and just say, I want to bless you. That's what we're talking about. The first habit is just get in the habit every week of blessing at least three people. Here's his challenge. You bless at least three people and let at least one of those people not be a member of your church. Just go through life blessing people. The second habit is to eat with somebody. Guys, do you understand biblically what a big deal it was to sit down at a table? Jesus stayed in more trouble about this than almost anything else, is that Jesus ate with people that offended the Jewish leaders. Because to eat with someone in Jesus' day was to communicate love and acceptance. People understood that something happens around a table that does not happen anywhere else. 
And so Jesus blessed people that way. Here's the the thing I love about this, guys, is, is we're not asking you right now to do something you don't already do. Most of us eat three meals a day, right? I don't see many from what I can see from my vantage point. They're skipping many meals, all right? Not trying to be offensive, but you look pretty good. Three meals a day, seven days a week. How many meals is that? Are you guys Auburn students? I mean, how many? Oh, excuse me, excuse me. I felt a little, that was bad. I apologize. I've done so good for years. Are you guys Notre Dame students? Um, Three meals a day, seven days a week. How many is that? 21. Thank you. Now you've become responsive. I have to offend you to get you responsive. Okay. That's 21. Here's the challenge that Frost gives. Take three meals, three meals a week and share it with somebody. At least one of them who doesn't go to your church. There's a quotation from a man named Alan Hirsch. He says this, if every Christian regularly invited a stranger or a poor people a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Instead of just inviting your friends over, inviting your friends after church today to go to a meal, you invited somebody else. Guys, there's something powerful about eating. I've heard two stories this week out of our one more group about people that have had significant spiritual conversations with people who are not following Jesus because they ate with them. They didn't go in a Bible study. They didn't bang them over the head. They just simply invited them to share a meal. And you know what happens when you begin to share a meal. You begin to have conversations you wouldn't have had otherwise. So every week, eat with at least three people, one of whom's not a member of your church. Now the L is for listen. And this is to, to listen to God. Take at least one chunk of your week, get quiet, listen to God, let the Holy Spirit prompt you. Now, this is hard for most of us because we don't, we don't listen well. We're not real good with quietness, but, but God's not good in noise. And so find a time during your week, preferably at the beginning of the week, where you just listen, where you just come before God and say, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to this week? Who do you want me to touch? I try to pray at the beginning of every week. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I've seen God work through this. I try to pray every Monday, Lord, who do you want me to eat lunch with this week? Just bring those people to my mind. Have them call me, have me run into them. Have, just, just, just begin, begin to think that way. Because here's the, here's the deal is God will speak to you. God will prompt you. And you'll, you'll begin to know what to do because you're listening to him. And then the next L habit is to learn. It's an old-fashioned term used by early Christians. It's to learn of Christ. Make sure you spend a good bit of time in the Gospels. At least once a week, get into the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Learn his heart. Learn his ways. Get to know him. We just finished studying the book of Acts. Remember Acts chapter 4, verse 13? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they recognized that these men had what? Been with Jesus. So if we're going to start reflecting Jesus, we've got to spend time with Jesus. Could you do that? Could you once a week just spend some time listening? At least once a week, spend some time in the Gospels, reading about Jesus. 
And then the, the last habit is sent. That, that's the word in the Bible for a missionary, is to be sent. And here's the challenge of that. I'll leave my home every day asking God to use me as a missionary. I'll leave my home every day asking God to use me as his missionary. What could happen, my friends? Again, we're not talking, we're not, I'm not challenging you to change so much that you're out on some street corner screaming at somebody. Probably wouldn't even be effective. I'm just saying, if we catch this mission, not only do we need to make some changes as a church, but more importantly, we probably need to change as individuals that it's not about me, it's about other people. So I go about my day just blessing people. I, I serve people. I give those, those words of affirmation. I'm intentional about using those 21 mil times in a way to connect with someone about God. Oh, I'm out there and I'm, I'm listening to the promptings of God. I'm learning about Jesus and I'm sent. I'm not, my day has a mission about it. And you can see up here, you can see the biblical concepts associated with every one of these practical habits. Now, guys, this morning, I'm just planting a seed. But I wondered if you put this somewhere and you begin to try to, and I begin to try to incorporate these as, as habits in our life. How long does it take to make a habit? I've read everything from 21 days to a month to the latest I read this week said a habit like this will probably take you 66 days from what they've studied. You, you, just, you just have to, to start having it in front of you and begin to create these kind of habits in your life. You see, what's really, really cool about this is not just great when the church changes to reach people. What's really cool is when I change. It's when I begin to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, you know what? It's not about me. I don't walk into work about me. I don't walk into my school about me. I don't even walk in this church building about me. If they do things that are biblical that might be different than the way I would do them, I'm not making a big deal about that because it's not about me. I'd rather me be uncomfortable trying to reach someone for Jesus than someone out there coming in here who doesn't know Jesus being uncomfortable because we're so behind time. But what's really cool is when my life begins to be lived in such a way that I become all things to all people so that by all means, all possible means, I might save some. What we're asking you and I to do is to, to, to walk away from here with a listening spirit, ready to bless people, enjoying meals with people, learning of Jesus and sharing Jesus, being a sent person. We're not asking you to go out and do something offensive. We're not talking about going out there and roughing up somebody in the name of Jesus. We're talking about you being that salt that permeates our culture just by the way you bless people, by the way you share with people, by the way you listen to God's leading. And God can do great things. Here's the role I think you and I are supposed to play. Go with me here. You know what a movie trailer is? You know, when you go to a movie, they show you all these trailers, feel like they're never going to get through. But, but the idea of that trailer is they're going to show you some highlights from the movie. They're going to show you the most humorous spot or the most romantic spot or the best special effects. They're, 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 and, and here's their goal. Their goal is really simple in showing that trailer. Their goal is that you turn to the person beside you and say, I'd like 
see that movie. How many of you ever done that? That's a good trailer. Listen to me. That is God's goal for your life and my life. Is that someone would witness us and say, I'd like to know that Jesus. There's something so special about the way you serve, by the way you bless, by the way you live. I want to know what's different. I want to question them. Why do they act this way? So this morning, could you become that trailer for Jesus? Someone who lives in such a way, the Apostle Peter would say, you live in such a way that people are going to question you about your faith because they want to know about it. So this morning, we're about to sing. If you're ready to get on this mission and you need the prayers of the church, if there's something about your life that needs to change, you see, the biggest change is not what needs to happen to us corporately. The biggest change is what needs to happen to my heart and your heart. If you need the prayers of this church to change, if your life is not making the gospel attractive, if you can't imagine someone whispering to their friend, I wonder what makes them so different. I'd like to know them. Then maybe today's the day to put down a marker of when your life changed and you caught the mission of God. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.